You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. given here certainly came true rebuilt but in times of trouble anytime God's doing a work of rebuilding the enemy is going to come against it and that's what happens in the book of Nehemiah and it was not easy to rebuild and they could have given up they didn't give up and God's favor was on them I bet you'll never guess how long it took for them to rebuild 49 years Being on time is important in so many situations. This is especially true when it comes to biblical prophecy. Today, Pastor Danny continues this study in the book of Daniel by explaining the prophetic time frame given to Daniel. You'll discover that the days and weeks that God gave Daniel line up perfectly with historical events and give insight into what is yet to come. Pastor Danny explains that life isn't easy, even when you know the timing of what's going to happen. But God is there with you every step of the way. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Daniel chapter 9 as he begins his message, A Disappointing Revelation. Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9. Last time uh, we were in the book of Daniel, uh, we were in the first part of chapter 9. Daniel is in Babylon. It's called the Babylonian captivity. Because of Israel's unfaithfulness, uh, God had allowed Babylon to come in and they become subject to Babylon. Some of the Israelites were deported from Israel into Babylon. Daniel is one of those uh, Jewish young men. But Uh, Last time, we looked at Daniel's prayer, and his prayer was motivated because he had been reading Jeremiah the prophet. So he's having his Bible reading time, and he realizes from Jeremiah's writings that the Babylonian captivity was going to last 70 years. The time that he realizes this, he had already been there about 67 years. So you can imagine, he's realizing We only got a few more years to go, and then God's going to begin to restore what was destroyed. But instead of throwing a hallelujah party, he goes to prayer. Well, an amazing thing happens before he finishes his prayer, and that's the last half of chapter 9. Look at verse 20. He tells us, while I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and making my request to the Lord my God for his holy hill, Jerusalem. While I was still in prayer, Gabriel, angel, the man I had seen in the earlier vision came to me in swift flight, so angels do fly, about the time of the evening sacrifice. He instructed me and he said to me, Daniel, I've now come to give you insight and understanding 
Now, the whole context is about the future. So it's insight and understanding about the future. Verse 23. As soon as you began to pray, an answer was given, which I've come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. Therefore, consider the message and understand the vision. Now, this is the section of Scripture that you don't just read on the surface and get a lot out of it. It takes some study. I've tried to do that. But look at verse 24. Seventy-sevens are decreed for your people, the Jewish people, and your holy city, Jerusalem. To finish transgression, to put an end to sin, that'll be a great day, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. We're going to come back to those, but that's a lot of stuff. Verse 25, no one understand this. From the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem after the Babylonian captivity. Until the anointed one, that's the Christ. That's what Christ means, anointed one. Until the anointed one, the ruler comes, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. It'll be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. Not going to be an easy rebuilding. After the 62 sevens, the anointed one, Christ, will be cut off and will have nothing. The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. That's after it gets rebuilt. The end will come like a flood. He's talking about the very end. When it happens, it's going to happen very fast. War will continue until the end. And desolations have been decreed, decreed by God. In other words, there's nothing you can do about it. They're coming. And then he talks about this interesting figure in the prophetic timetable. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on a wing of the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation. Other places, even Jesus referred to this as the abomination of desolation. Until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. I've tried to put it together in such a way that no matter what your degree of Bible knowledge, you'll understand what God's talking about here. But you got to pay attention. The 70 weeks, scholars agree, are 70 weeks of years. So prophesied here, are 490 years of prophetic history, and they are divided. And there's a reason for the division, and here's the division. They're divided into 49 years, 434 years, and the last seven years, totaling 490 years. If you're a student, you want to write down these scriptures on the next point, because the first 49 years deal with the rebuilding after the Babylonian captivity. And these scriptures, God prophesies about even men like Cyrus, who didn't even serve the God of Israel, wasn't a believer himself, but God used him. And Cyrus would give the Jews permission to go back to the land and begin to rebuild. There's a whole book of the Bible that tells us the story of at least 
the majority of the rebuilding. It's the book of Nehemiah. And if you read the book of Nehemiah, the prophecy given here certainly came true. Rebuilt, but in times of trouble. Anytime God's doing a work of rebuilding, the enemy is going to come against it. And that's what happens in the book of Nehemiah. And it was not easy to rebuild. And they could have given up. They didn't give up. And God's favor was on them. I bet you'll never guess how long it took for them to rebuild. 49 years. And guess what happened? Guess what happened after the rebuilding? 434 years after the restoration, after the Babylonian captivity, another significant event in history took place. It's called the cross of Jesus Christ. 49 years after the rebuilding, you go 434 years down in human history, and then Jesus comes and he dies on the cross for the sins of the world. And the last seven where this figure, we are, we know him most as the Antichrist. He's going to make a covenant with Israel. He's going to break a covenant in the middle of the last seven known as the Great Tribulation. 490 years of prophetic history. The first is the decree to rebuild. The second, 430 years, 34 years after the restoration, Messiah is cut off. That's the cross after Jerusalem is restored. And the third is a final seven years known as the Great Tribulation when this figure known as Antichrist will rule and reign. I ask a lot of questions when I study. Here's some of the questions down in my notes. What did this prophecy do for Daniel? Because Gabriel sent to give him insight and understanding. What did God intend it to do for Daniel? I put down, Daniel recorded this for us. What does God intend this prophecy to do for us? Now you got to think about it. You know what this prophecy reveals? Now remember, remember the timing. Daniel has just read from Jeremiah. Babylonian captivity is about to end. But he goes to prayer, and before he's done with the prayer, God sends Gabriel to give him insight and understanding. And what is the insight and understanding? Here it is in a nutshell. There's a lot of things have to happen yet before the final end. I don't think it was real encouraging. Look at the things. To finish transgression. What does that mean? It probably has to do with God's patience with the world. You have times, for example, in the Old Testament, God would be dealing with a people like the Amorites. I just use them as an example. You could use a lot of people. You could use the Babylonians. You could use the Israelites. But he would say, for example, like the Amorites, uh, Israel wondering why God hadn't judged the Ammonites because they're wicked, they're idolatrous, they're just terrible. And there's a prophecy where he told one of his servants in the Bible the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. Flood of Noah's day. What did God do? He didn't send the flood right away. 120 years, he sent a preacher, Noah. He was a preacher. That's what the Bible tells us. And he warned people for 120 years. Why? Because God loves the world. So to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, 
Let's just take it for what it says. One day, we won't have to deal with sin. That's going to be a wonderful day. To atone for wickedness, that's connected with the cross, isn't it? And the sacrifice God made through his servant, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. To bring in everlasting righteousness, what is that? Bible says when Jesus comes, the government's going to be on his shoulder and the world's going to get better and better and better and better. He's going to clean things up. Righteousness is going to rule and reign. The law will go out from Zion. That's what the Bible says. It's going to happen one day. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. To bring in everlasting righteousness. To seal up vision and prophecy. If you're a student, you want to write down there on that one, 1 Corinthians 13, especially verses 8 through 10, because Paul the apostle writes and he says there's come a day, there's going to come a day when there will be no need for prophecy anymore. Everything will be fulfilled. There'll be no more need for vision anymore. We'll see face to face. There'll be no more need for, he even mentions a supernatural gift, the gift of tongues. Tongues will cease, won't be a need for it anymore. That's what he's talking about here. To seal up vision and prophecy, it's done. No more need. And then the final, to anoint the most holy, and most scholars believe that refers to the future temple where Jesus will come as king of kings and lord of lords, and the temple and the king will be anointed, and he'll rule and reign forever and ever and ever. A lot of things to happen. A lot of things. And the things that are listed here have to do with tremendous difficulties and disappointment prior to eternal victory. It is what it is. The end of the seven-year captivity will not be the beginning of ultimate restoration. Ultimate restoration is what we refer to as heaven. The prophecy tells Daniel and it tells us Jerusalem would be rebuilt only to be destroyed again. I don't think Daniel was jumping up and down going, yippee. No, this was, this was insight and understanding of what is still yet to happen in the prophetic future. The Messiah is going to come, but he's going to be cut off, and it's going to appear as if he failed, which is exactly what the disciples and the world thought, that he failed. The Bible tells us, in the Gospels on that last trip into Jerusalem before he went to the cross, his own disciples thought the kingdom was just going to appear. That was not the prophetic plan. He had to suffer. He had to die. He had to rise again. War is going to continue until the end. Just the way it is. There's not going to be world peace until the Prince of Peace comes. And desolations are decreed. By God. I don't like that. And it's not desolation. There is a final abomination of desolation. Antichrist sets himself up in the temple, proclaims to be God. That is the abomination that's going to bring about the flood of end. And then Jesus shows up. But desolations are decreed. <laughs> We've already seen it's going to get worse before it gets better. Let me remind us of what desolation is. Desolation, here's the definition. It's a state of complete emptiness or destruction. It's anguished misery or loneliness because of the things that are happening in the world, because of the prophetic plan. And as we get closer to the end, 
desolations increase. I'm going to go on record about these. And my statement is not a political statement. It's not a political statement. If you take it that way, you don't understand my heart and you don't understand my statement. Every time I see people wearing masks, I think of Luke 21.11. You know what Luke 21.11 says? Jesus, in all the signs of his second coming, one of the things he says is there will be pestilences, pandemic, in various places. You talk about a sign. This is worldwide. The Japanese are wearing them. The Chinese are wearing them. The, the Bolivians are wearing them. Everybody's wearing them. They're around the world. You wish you just had a crystal ball and you started a mask company and got ahead of the game. And so on the one side of the prophetic coin, I look at people wearing masks, including myself, and I go, wow, what a sign. Jesus is coming. And on the other side, I look at the mask and I say, I hate this thing. I can't wait for the day that Calvary Chapel Fellowship hosts a mask-burning service. I can't wait. But let me prophesy. Here's what's going to happen when we have our mask-burning service. Whenever that is, we're going to say, okay, here's the date. Come on, the courtyard. We got the, we got the bonfire going, you know. Bring your mask. And here's what's going to happen. Some people aren't going to bring every mask they have. They're going to hide a few, you know, because they don't have enough faith to believe they can get rid of all their masks. And I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you. Go and find your spouse's mask and bring it. (laughs) Find your children's mask. Find your mom and dad, even your grandmother. Get her mask and bring it by faith. So look, on the one hand, I see all the prophecies being fulfilled. I go, hallelujah, Jesus is coming. On the other hand, I go, I wish they weren't happening in my day because I don't like it. I don't like that desolations are decreed. I think we've been through this kind of thing before in the book of Daniel, haven't we? And the one final desolation that's called the abomination of desolation, guess what? That one final desolation that at the very end will make it appear that the saints have lost. You read about it. Revelation chapter 13, here's what it says. When Antichrist is ruling during that final seven-year period, verse 5, he's referred to as a beast and the kingdom he rules, beastly. The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and exercised his authority authority for 42 months. That's three and a half years. Right in the middle of the seven, you'll see his true colors. He opened his mouth to blaspheme God, to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. He was given power, given power to make war against the saints. Listen to what I'm reading to you. And to conquer them. He was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, except those whose names have been written in the book of life. Only those who are Christian in that coming day will not worship this dude, and everything he stands for. All whose names have not been written in the book of life belonging to the lamb that was slain from the creation of the world. And then he says, he who has an ear, let him hear. If anyone's to go into captivity, into captivity he'll go. It's going to be tough. 
If anyone wants to be killed with the sword for his faith, he'll be killed with the sword. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of the saints. Says it again in chapter 14. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of the saints. It's going to look like we've lost. But I am on the ultimate comeback team. We are the underdogs of all of history. You say, but most of this is pretty discouraging. Could you give me something positive? Okay, here it is. Say it with me. Let's think about it. Here we go. You ready? The certainty of our ultimate future victory is based on the previous fulfillment of prophecy. Say it one more time. The certainty of our ultimate future victory is based on previous fulfillment of prophecy. And a lot of this prophecy is not enjoyable when it gets played out. The cross was awful and yet beautiful. Now I get to the favorite part of the message. For me anyway. I hope it is for you. That is the mystery in the text that was not revealed to Daniel. You say, what is it? I'm not going to tell you. No, I'm going to tell you. There's something in the text that God didn't reveal to Daniel. And he didn't reveal it to any other Old Testament saint. Nobody in the Old Testament understood what we know. But what do we know? The prophecy speaks of 490 years of prophetic history, but it includes at least 2,510 years of history. I want you to stop and think about this. The reason he divided the 490 years, 49 years, seven sevens, 62 sevens, 434 years, the cross, last seven, great tribulation. Why are they divided? Well, especially between the 483rd year and the 490th year, there's a gap. And that gap has been continuing now for over 2,000 years or around 2,000 years, depending on when you date it, when Jesus came or the actual cross. The end hasn't come. We see signs, it's a sign. He's coming. But the end hasn't come. How long do we have? I don't know. You don't know. If you think Jesus is coming today, he's not coming today because he said, I'm going to come in an hour. You don't expect me. So don't think he's coming today. And maybe he'll come today. Here's what Daniel or no other Old Testament saint was told. Wasn't shown to him. Wasn't revealed to him. It's called the church age. Turn to Luke chapter 4. Luke 4, verse 16, he went to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. And on the Sabbath, Jesus went into the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and in unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, release the oppressed, proclaim the year of the Lord's favor or the Lord's grace. And then he rolled up the scroll. That'd be like closing his Bible. He's done with the reading. He gave it back to the attendant. He sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying, listen to what he says. Today, this scripture is fulfilled 
in your hearing. We're so thankful to be able to share the Word of God with you here on The Living Word. Pastor Danny has been teaching through the Book of Daniel, an Old Testament book on history and prophecy. If you'd like to hear today's message again, please visit ccfstpete.church. Just look under Resources. We also invite you to join us in our Bible reading plan. This is a great way to get into the Word every day. You can find out more under the Resources tab as well at ccfstpete.church. As we wrap up our time with you today, we'd like to take a moment to ask you to partner with us in prayer here on The Living Word. Prayer is such a powerful tool against the enemy, and there's much to pray about during these days of speculation, doubt, and fear. Perhaps there's a listener out there that's really wrestling with all of the uncertainties, and your prayers could be a way to help minister to their heart and mind, renewing their faith along the way. Would you pray for us as we create programs and for the listeners as they hear God's Word? And like Daniel, be diligent in your own faith. Don't let the things of the world sway you from the one who is holy and true. Thanks for praying, and thanks for joining us for Pastor Danny's continuing teaching through the book of Daniel, right here on The Living Word.